When you give to support our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions, you give to support missionaries like that, to see lives change like that. And that sermon, or excuse me, that video dovetails perfectly with our sermon today. Every church, every nation. It says Revelation 22, and that's where we'll spend the bulk of our time. But I actually want to invite you to turn to Revelation 21, just one chapter before. And we're going to read through the entirety of Revelation 21. And then the first six verses of Revelation 22. When we read Revelation 21, you'll see why. It sets the stage for chapter 22. Obviously, you'd expect that with one passage of Scripture following another, but it helps us to get there. If you're able to stand, stand with me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had, been, uh, who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like the very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high walls with twelve gates. And with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and as high as it is long. He measured its wall in its 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city uh, walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The uh, first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth 
chrysophase, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 gates were made of 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street on the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter in it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we read these pictures of our eternal home, heaven, and we're awed by the words that are used to try to capture its splendor, awesomeness, and magnificent. We're reminded that although the place is amazing to look at, it's your will that every person might dwell there for eternity. And it's your will that we would participate in bringing others there. God, our Father, we pray as we study today, you would fill us with your spirit. Empower us and embolden us to be witnesses of the gospel. That every church, every Christ follower might witness to every person in every nation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. That very last phrase... Verse 6, the things that must soon take place. When the Bible talks about what heaven is going to be like in chapter 21 and the beginning parts of chapter 22, and it says the things that must soon take place, I've got to ask, are you comfortable with that? Are you content knowing that eternity could be very soon? Maybe it makes you a bit uncomfortable. Maybe You don't like to consider the end, but the thing we must know is that the end is coming. 
that eternity is real, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, and that we have a mission to share Jesus with those that don't yet know him. And so when God calls us to himself, he calls us that we might be witnesses for him, that we that have been redeemed might share the message of redemption with others, that we that have been reconciled or made right with him might help be reconcilers for others, that we might be ambassadors for Christ. So God gives us the book of Revelation and he tells us the things that soon will be coming in order that we might not be scared into action, but that we might be motivated into action, that we might be inspired or encouraged. Consider the things that we read in chapter 21. You got your Bibles there in chapter 21. You heard those amazing descriptions of what heaven would be like. Notice what it said there in verse 3, that the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. No longer is God somewhere else in heaven, that heaven comes down to us, the new heaven and the new earth. You see that in verse 3. That picture that you hear so often in times of grief and mourning and loss that is in Revelation 21.4, that there will be no more dying, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. In heaven. In verse 5 it said. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. What did the angel say. That we should write down. The picture of the things that are to come. Verses 9 through 21 talk about the city of heaven. Now we don't measure by stadia anymore, but 12,000 stadia, maybe your Bible translation says, that's 1,400 miles long. Some of you took road trips this Christmas. Some of you drove, some of you flew, but let, flew, but let me give you an idea. 1,400 miles is the distance from Washington, D.C. to the Kansas-Colorado line. 1,400 miles is a different distance from Miami, Florida to the uh, Canadian border. So imagine a city that is half the size of the continental United States, and then some. A city whose walls are 200 feet high and 200 feet thick, and made of such precious uh, items and that the Bible can't even describe them. And John, even under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, struggles to find words and images and pictures for what the city of heaven is made of. But it's not the size of the city. It's not the composition of the elements of the city that should inspire us the most. It's the image of God in the city. There's no temple in that city. And there's no sun in that city because God himself and Jesus, the Lamb of God, dwell there. And from those two emanate a light that illuminates the entire city. And what does it say in verse 24? The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. That sure enough, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that glory and honor of the nations, this is verse 26, will be brought to it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Only those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse 27 should be a reminder to us. 
it might frighten us. Because God says only those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will enter heaven. There's no room for universalism. There's no room just for good people. There's no room for anyone of any other religion. But only those who've trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior while they live. So as much as that scares us, it might also motivate us. Because as we turn then to chapter 22, we see this picture of how we will change the world. As ambassadors for Christ, notice in the chapter 22, verse 2, the last sentence there. And it says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It was this phrase that caught my attention and drew me to the entire passage of Scripture for this sermon. That the leaves of the tree will be the healing of the nation. Now, we're going to talk in a few minutes about what that tree is. But the leaves of the tree, is that us? Are we as ambassadors of Christ to be a part of the healing of the nations? Is there more than one meaning to this picture of the tree of life? More than one meaning to this scripture? I do believe so. That throughout scripture, particularly when it's speaking in prophetic ways, particularly when it's speaking in poetic language, that there's a double entendre, that there's two meanings. And I believe we see that here. So where chapter 21 is about the city of heaven, chapter 22 is about the blessing of God, eternal and perpetual. It's about regaining access to the tree of life. It's about permanent healing, and it's about dispelling all darkness, and it's about how we, as believers in Jesus, get to participate in that. Now, you don't look as excited as I look right now. Maybe it's because I studied it and I know what's coming, but you guys heard me read it and your minds are already spinning on things. But this to me is exciting because not only do we just get passively sit by and get saved by Jesus and get to go to heaven with Jesus and spend an eternity with him with no sickness, no dying, no mourning, no pain, no disease, no suffering, any of that bad stuff, but we get to participate in it. We get to Share that joy, that promise, that hope with others. So let's answer that question that's on your screen. What do we observe in Revelation 22, 1 through 6? The first answer actually comes from verse 6, because we're going to work our way backwards in this passage of Scripture. It says, we know the future by God's word. We know the future by God's word. What does it say there in verse 6? The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, take them to the bank. You can count on this. There's no falsehood. It's absolutely positively true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place place. Not just any Lord, but the God of the spirits and of the prophets who wrote down things in the past, recorded the entire Bible. Um, By the way, Revelation 22 is found where in the Bible? Which chapter is it? The very last chapter. At the very end, in the very last chapter, the angel is saying to John, everything that is in this entire book from Genesis to right where you're at now is true. And you can count on it. And it's coming true. And what does it say there, the very last phrase? The things that must soon take place. 
We know the future by God's Word. God's Word tells us what is going to happen. It tells us how it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know the signs that it will happen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, just write down that reference, says that prophecy never had its origin by human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit inspired men who were prophets to write down, to speak words of prophecy and write them down so that we might know the things that are to come. God did that right here as well. Your second answer is that we will welcome a new identity in God's family. That's verses 4 and 5, that we will welcome a new identity in God's family. Look back at chapter 22, verse 4 and 5 then. It says, they will see His face. So the Lamb of God, Jesus, we're going to see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. Now, that sounds weird to us, right? I mean, we have this idea, and because of our pop culture even, and Christian culture, of the mark of the beast that's going to be on the foreheads or somewhere on the person, but probably the foreheads of those who are not followers of Jesus in the last time. But now Scripture is telling us when followers of Jesus get to heaven, His name is going to be on our foreheads. And we're American. We kind of like to dress our own way, and we kind of like to accessorize ourselves our own way. You know, I don't wear earrings, but ladies have different types of earrings, different hairstyles they might wear, different jewelry, different clothes all of us put on at different times. And we don't necessarily like somebody telling us what to wear, particularly writing it on our forehead. But what this is symbolic of is a relationship with Jesus. It's a new level of intimacy. It's ownership. It's because we are His slaves, the New Testament picture of who Christ's followers are, that not only has He pierced our ear, but he's written his name on our forehead. It's belonging. It's a new identity. Greater than, deeper than before. Look at verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign with him forever and ever. So that picture of light we talked about already just briefly. But this idea of we will reign with him forever and ever. As believers in Jesus, the Bible often refers to us as priests. A kingdom of priests. That we are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people peculiar or chosen by God. That we've been called out the, of the darkness into his marvelous light. I like to use the light for theatric purposes. Poor Miss Lori over here. She's getting shown on right now. Mr. David's about to get shown on too. The way the light travels around. But we've been called out of darkness into light. And we're a priesthood. That means we have a relationship with God. And not only do we have rule, we have responsibility. I want to talk to us some about that responsibility as we move to the next point. And that's your third answer. Is that we receive eternal life through God's power. We receive eternal life through God's power. It's not by anything we do, but it is through His power. Let's go back to chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. 
Verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, in chapter 21, it said there isn't any temple. But here in chapter 22, it says there is a throne and that God himself and the Lamb are like the temple. But the river, this picture of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from God's throne. Now, I don't know that anything in earth, any image could equate to this. I have this idea in my mind of like a European city with a canal or a river right down the middle of it. And on either side, there's some nice looking trees. And, you know, there's some lanes with uh, shops and places you might like to go with bicycles going by because they've closed it, um, you know, to cars. And people are walking around and it's just like this beautiful picture postcard thing. Well, imagine that times like a thousand, right? The river is bigger. And then this image of a tree that we're going to talk about even more extensively in a moment. But this water of life, we'll get there and talk about that a little further in a moment too. But notice verse 2. Down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Now, wait a second. Is it one tree? And if it's one tree, how is it on both sides of the river? And if the city is 1,400 miles long, how long is this river? And how big is this tree? Well, is it a grove of trees? Scripture isn't clear about everything, so we can speculate on those things. But whether it's one tree or whether it's a grove of trees, but uh, it doesn't really matter at this point. But notice what it says about it. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, what does that mean? That... There's no season to this tree. It's a perpetual tree, like eternity. And what does it say in the last part there of verse 3? Or verse 2, excuse me. And the leaves of the tree will be healing of the nations. You remember what happened in Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth. It was good. God created And it was good. God created and it was good. Then Genesis chapter 2, we get Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, we get the fall of Adam and Eve as they sin against God. And God curses them. And God curses creation. And creation itself is fallen. Verse 17 says, Because you listened to your wife and ate of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. This tree is that tree, the tree of life, that symbol, that image is now literal in heaven as it was literal in the Garden of Eden. And what do we say at the end of verse three? No longer will there be any curse. That curse is lifted now. The throne of God and the Lamb and of the city and of His servants will serve Him. We receive eternal life through God's power. Let's talk a little bit further about that as we go on in this next point. What about healing for the nations? As we focus in on verse 2 and on this phrase, the healing from the nations, we've got to go back and connect the dots here through 
biblical history and these theological images to help us understand how we, as believers of Jesus, living right now that aren't yet to heaven and aren't yet there seeing the tree of life, aren't yet there with the river of life, how do these things impact us now? Well, here's the first part of your answer. It comes from the tree of life. The healing of the nations comes from the tree of life. Down the middle of the street, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are healing for the nation. That tree of life is referenced throughout the Old Testament. One I'll tell you real quick is Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12. And it says, it is a tree for healing of the nations. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, it refers to it as we're talking about right now. But look down your page to chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go inside the gates of the city. Having the right to the near the very symbol of salvation. Notice verse 19. Near the very end of this chapter, the very end of the Bible. Revelation twenty two nineteen, And if anyone takes words away from the book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. You see what that's saying? It's saying if you sin by taking away from the Bible, you won't get to go to heaven. The tree of life, again, is a picture of eternal life. It's a symbol of, Just as it was a symbol of separation from God and curse from God in Genesis chapter 3. Throughout the Bible, it's a symbol of God's life and hope and His great salvation. So when we talk about healing for the nations, the first thing to understand is it comes from the tree of life. It's symbolic of eternal life. The second thing to understand is that it's nourished by the river Of the water of life. The tree of life is nourished by the river of the water of life. Like any tree, it has to have water. It has light from God and Jesus, the Lamb of God Himself, that shines on it, but it has water. The river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. Think about modern day Middle East. Some of you have traveled there. All of you have seen pictures there. Some of you have maybe seen movies set there. You don't generally have the idea of it being lush and green, but a desert place, a place without much water, and a place where water is more symbolic of life than it is for most of us here, even in Nebraska, once time known as the Great Desert. But the water of life and the tree of life are powerful symbols. And water means life. And it means eternal life. If you were to go back to Genesis again, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10, it said, in the Garden of Eden there was a river of water that fed the garden. In Psalm 46.4, it says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's talking about heaven, the holy place of the Most High. It's talking about this river, this place right now. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1 and 2. Write that down. Ezekiel 47, 1 and 2. 
This picture, this prophecy, Ezekiel, he says, The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from the, under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me down through the north gate and led me to the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. This water trickling from the temple was symbolic of God's gift of eternal life for the people as it is here. You're in Revelation. Turn back to the Gospel of John with me. John wrote Revelation in his very old age. But while he was a few years younger, maybe a few decades younger, he wrote the Gospel of John. And he, as Jesus' beloved disciple and an eyewitness of the things thereof, writes in John chapter 4, verse 14, where Jesus says, let me just go to verse 13. In his encounter with the Samaritan woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will spring up welling to eternal life. The water that comes from Jesus is symbolic of eternal life. You see that again in John chapter 7 and verse 38. John chapter 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. As you've received eternal life, and as you have received the water of life, so that life flows out of you like water flows out. In the book of Revelation, water is symbolic of eternal life. You saw that here in chapter 22. You see it in chapter 7, verse 17. And you saw it in verse Chapter 21, verse 6, as we read earlier. But water is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit who brings eternal life. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is akin to water and symbolized not only as a wind, but as water that brings life. So we've painted this picture about healing from the nation, that it comes from the tree of life, It's fed by the river of the water of life. And before we get to our final question, let me give you one more scripture you might want to write down. Zechariah 13.1. It says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. That day, the last day, the day when Christ returns, a fountain of living water. That God gives us eternal life within us, that that life might flow out from us, that we might participate in the healing of the nations. So let's get to your third and final question. How do we participate in the healing for the nations? Your first answer there is, We follow Jesus' mission. That's actually an incorrect reference. The reference that you should write down is Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. And if you want to turn with me in your copies of the Bible right now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. And what does it say there? It says, of Jesus, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight, I will put my spirit in him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Justice to the nations. The nations there literally means the peoples. 
all nations, all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, that Jesus' mission was to proclaim justice, God's justice, right and wrong, good and bad, eternal life. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 21, it says, In Him, Jesus, the nations put their hope. Mark chapter 11, verse 17, refers to Jesus as the hope of people for all nations. We've got a second answer there. And that's that we preach to all nations. We follow Jesus to all nations, but we preach to all nations. And that's in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24 talks to us about what the end will be like. I've given you that picture from Revelation 21 and 22 of what heaven will be like. But what will happen before Jesus returns? Well, if you read Matthew chapter 24, and I'll just go back and read very quickly. In verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, that's one thing, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars, that's the second thing that's going to happen in the end time. Rumors of wars, third thing. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation. That's a fourth thing. There will be famine, fifth thing. And earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. And it goes on and on and names various things that will happen that we know that the end is coming. Things like we see happening right now. But notice what it says in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. One of the first sermons I preached in this church 13 years ago, we talked about this very text. And of all the tribes and all the different languages, the different ethno-linguistic groups in the world, there are known still to be about 300 of which there is no known believer in Jesus. That's the number I'm looking at. Because when we can say, or missiologists or people that study this, that there is at least one Christ follower from every nation speaking every unique language anywhere under the sun, that's when things are going to get real, folks. We're close to it now because of technology. We're close to it now because you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. We're close to it now because you go and you pray and you share the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. We preach to all the nations. That's how we participate in it. If you can't preach, you can give. If you can't preach or go to the nations, you can pray. Let's look at our third and final point there is that we live our purpose. We live our purpose. And that's in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. I'm actually going to read it from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I like the way this reads a little better. It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. You've got a lot of description about who Jesus is there. To the only wise God be glory 
forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He is able to strengthen us. And our purpose is to be witnesses, to bring glory to Him. That's our purpose. And all of that description of who Jesus is and how powerful He is, is to remind us that our job is to let Him flow through us like water flows, because that's what water does. That He flows through us. So you've got two summary points. We participate in the healing of the nations by following his mission, by preaching to all nations, by living our purpose. But then you've got two summary points. The first one says, every church has a mission to every nation. Every church has a mission to every nation. We could say, well, we're not that big of a church and we're just here in Lincoln, Nebraska. How can we get around the world? Well, we can go across the street. Yes, we can give to Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon in our cooperative program. Yes, you can give to missionaries of other agencies. Yes, we're a sending church. We're sponsoring a plant to people that speak Spanish through Pastor Angel and Vanessa and Zuri. Yes, we do the Easter pageant. We have people from all nations come and different religions. Yes, we do vacation Bible school and invite everybody on trunk or treat. Yes, we invite our friends to church. Yes, we share the gospel. But... Are we truly on mission as a church? Do we have a clear purpose? I think in 2019 we'll settle that. We'll talk about, is it Indian Village? Is it our Oikos? Is it some other partner organization? How do we as a church participate on mission? So that's foreshadowing what's to come. But let's get a little more personal here. The final point on your outline. Oh, excuse me, I forgot that next point. Seth's waiting on me. Jesus saves. Thank you, Seth. Jesus saves. That's every church has a mission to every nation, and that's proclaimed that Jesus saves. Now let's get to my final point. Every Christ follower has a message for every lost person. And that's Jesus loves you. All of us can say that. It's not hard. We know we should, but maybe we don't. We need some encouragement. We need some training. We need some accountability. We need to be reminded to tell everyone we meet Jesus loves them. To live in front of everyone we know that Jesus loves them. And to pray that. 2 Chronicles 7.14, which was our scripture memory verse of the month in November, reminds us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, We should humble ourselves before God and pray. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We should seek him and confess our sins. Then what does he say he'll do? He'll hear us from heaven. Forgive our sin and heal our land. As we are humble, as we pray, as we share the gospel, we will be part of the healing of the nations. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we come before you today, we're humbled by your invitation not to be passive, but to be active, to participate in your mission that someone from every tribe and every tongue, not to mention every single person, 
on this entire planet would hear a gospel witness and have the opportunity to respond and enter into eternal life with Christ Jesus as their Savior. So God, our Father, we pray that you would motivate us as believers in Jesus to kindly, lovingly share our witness and invite those who cross our path to consider an eternal relationship with Jesus just like we have. God, we pray for anyone here who's not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, that that truth would be made known to them, that they would put their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We ask your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name.